Hello, everybody. Andrew Gamison here with the Speaking for Him podcast. Super excited to have you along for another episode. I am excited to share with you later on in the show the second part of our Pilgrim's Progress project and just wanted to give you a little bit of insight. This project was almost four years in the making uh, because it was about three years before we recorded it last summer that I first wanted to do it. And at the time I was doing my podcast from the radio studio of WJQ in Zeeland, Michigan, and I brought it up two or three different times with different co-hosts who were working with me on the station, and every time I brought it up, there was some reason why we had to delay it, and we kept having to push it off, and it was pretty frustrating, and then COVID happened and everything shut down and I learned to do the podcast at home and I learned the use of Zoom as a way to bring in interviewers for the podcast and also with different other um, work-related things, whether it be my job or whether it be my uh, theater company, Master Arts Theater, that I'm a part of. I think it was while doing a reading for Master Arts Theater that I first got the germ that, hey, I could do this from home and get my friends to do it from home and we could gather on Zoom and do this recording of Pilgrim's Progress. So I'm extremely grateful for all the people that have put their time and effort into this show, and I think you will enjoy these weeks as they unfold. The response to week one has been amazing. So I just wanted to thank you for that, and now I wanted to share with you what is going on. Well, I want to start out by saying thank you, thank you, thank you for praying for myself and my colleagues at the Potter's House. We are soldiering through this semester, and we're very excited that we've been able to continue to bring kids a high level of academic support as well as spiritual support in these strange times in which we live. Many of the teachers are doing hybrid learning, which means that they are connecting with students both in the classroom and remotely online, and I commend them for their efforts, and I ask that you continue to pray. All right, well, I wanted to talk to you today about something that has actually been on my mind for quite a while, and that is cancellation and cancellation culture, but maybe not quite in the way that we discussed it last week. Um, The latest thing to be quote-unquote canceled is Dr. Seuss, or more particularly, six specific books that he wrote, um, I think in the early on point of his career. And I want to give a balanced approach to this because the first thing I want to say is I can honestly say that five out of the six titles that were canceled, uh, I had never heard of. So I'm not going to uh, get up in arms. I've seen memes going um, back and forth, showing the cat in the hat and why would you cancel Dr. Seuss? Um, But as I said, most of the books that that I have heard that they canceled were not books that I heard of. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that the publisher of Dr. Seuss can do whatever they want. They have the right to do that uh, legally and in the free country in which we live. However, I think that 
canceling things is a slippery slope because I think we have this mentality in our country that if you cancel something, it will go away. And that canceling is the answer rather than discussion and being willing to disagree on things. We're in a place in our culture where if you disagree with me, I have to view you as my mortal enemy, according to popular culture. And I think that's wrong. And in a lot of ways, canceling or cancellation cancels the discussion. So I want to share with you a clip from Tucker Carlson talking about this issue as it relates to Dr. Seuss. In 1961, Dr. Seuss wrote a story called The Sneetches. Martin Luther King's March on Washington was still two years away, but Dr. Seuss's story captured its essence. In case you haven't already read it to your kids 50 times and know it by heart, here's the plot. There's a group of furry pear-shaped animals called Sneetches who live on what looks like a faraway planet. Now, if that sounds weird to you, be aware that Dr. Seuss rarely drew people, probably because he didn't want to elevate one kind of person over any other kind of person. He wasn't a racist. In any case, there are two groups of Sneetches in the story, those with star-shaped designs on their stomachs and those without. There's no real difference between the two groups, but the Sneetches don't know that. They're convinced that stars are all important. So they spend the entire story jockeying for position based on the relative starness. At various points in the story, stars on the stomach are deemed socially favorable. At others, they're considered a mark of disgrace. And the Sneetches run around frantically trying to keep up with the changing demands of star fashion. Until they realize, in the uplifting final pages of the story, that none of it matters. Underneath the stars, they're all the same. They're all Sneetches. Who cares who's got a star? What matters isn't the group you come from. What matters is you. Even a five-year-old gets the point of the story. At the deepest level, it doesn't matter what we look like, because underneath it all, we're all the same. We're all human beings. We're in this together. All that outward appearance stuff is pointless. It just makes people hate each other, and it makes us look ridiculous. If there's a more powerful statement on the universal brotherhood of man, it's probably not in the children's section of the bookstore. For 60 years, American children have read the Sneetches and books like it. And that's one of the reasons we have the country we have today. And so the first thing I want to say is this, that I scratched my head when I found out about this cancellation of Dr. Seuss, mainly because I actually learned the exact opposite of racism from reading his works. I read the Sneetches like Tucker relates to, and I remember the story of them trying to fit in with one another. First of all, they thought that everybody should have stars, and then once that wasn't cool anymore, then they all wanted to not have stars. And they were getting themselves in a tizzy, trying to be the correct way. And then they realized that they were made differently, but inside they were all the same. The only difference between them was that some had a star and some did not. But they were both worthy, and the best thing to be is yourself. I learned that in part from that book. I learned similar things from Horton Hears a Who and from How the Grinch Stole Christmas. When a Grinch who didn't fit in and was bitter about life was shown love and extended friendship from Cindy Lou Who. 
So that is the first thing I wanted to bring out. I feel like Dr. Seuss taught me the exact opposite of what they are now saying that he is guilty of. But the next thing I want to say is that is to just elaborate a little bit on the cancellation kills the discussion. I remember a few years ago when people were talking about how you should cancel Huckleberry Finn because some of the language was expen- was offensive. I remember similar discussions about how about to kill a mockingbird. Again, some of the language is offensive, so we should cancel it. But the ironic thing to me is that both of those books were powerful, basically powerful speeches against racism. In Huckleberry Finn, Huckleberry Finn does his best to help Jim get away from being a slave. In To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch boldly stands up for Tom Robert Robinson and says the evidence isn't there to convict him. And in fact, we learn through the course of the story, spoiler alert, that it is actually probably Mayella Ewell's own father, Bob, who has committed the crimes that Tom Robinson is guilty of. And yes, there is offensive language. Yes, there is tough subjects in both of these books. But banning them isn't the answer. I remember a few years ago when we did To Kill a Mockingbird at Master Arts Theater. I was assisting the director, Pris McDonald, and we actually had discussions. We said, well, are we going to tone down some of the rhetoric in here? Are we going to to take out some of those offensive words? And ultimately we realized that because of the purpose of the story and the emotions thereof, we couldn't do that. We needed to leave it in because it needed to make a sucker punch with the audience. That this is something that actually happened in this country and it was wrong and it should not be put up with. So those are the kind of discussions that we need to have. But if you just cancel those stories, when are you going to have those discussions? So I just think in large part that cancellation is not the answer. I think we need to be in a place in our country where I can disagree with you, where I can have an opinion, where I can have a conviction and a belief without you feeling like I am personally against you and I want you to fail. Ultimately, here on the Speaking for Him podcast, I speak out for things that I believe that God wants me to speak out for. I have a love for everyone and a commitment to the unchanging word of God. And the only thing I can say to you today is that I urge you to put yourself under the authority of the word of God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and allow him to change your mind, your heart, and your thoughts. Because only he can do that. Once again, a big thank you to Caleb Thiessen for producing this series. Today's cast includes the voice talents of Craig Apel as John Bunyan slash narrator, 
Alex Jacobson as Christian, Andrew Gomison as Goodwill, Dave Delrymple as the interpreter, and Matthew Gomison in the roles of both Man 1 and Man 2. So sit back, relax, and join Christian on his journey once again as Speaking for Him Readers Theater continues to present to you Pilgrim's Progress. He knocked, therefore, more than once or twice, saying, May I now enter here? Will he within open to sorry me, though I have been an undeserving rebel? Then shall I not fail to sing his lasting praise on high. At last there came a grave person to the gate, named Goodwill, who asked, Who is there? Whence have you come? And what would you have? Here is a poor burdened sinner, I come from the city of destruction, but I am going to Mount Zion, that I may be delivered from the wrath to come. I would, therefore, sir, since I am informed that by this gate is the way thither, know if you are willing to let me in. I am willing with all my heart, said he, and with that he opened the gate. So when Christian was stepping in, the other gave him a pull. What means that? A little distance from this gate, there is erected a strong castle, of which Beelzebub is the captain. From thence, both he and them that are with him shoot arrows at those who come up to the gate, if happily they may die before they enter in. I rejoice and tremble. Who directed you thither? Evangelist bid me come thither, and I knocked as I did, and he said that you, sir, would tell me what I must do. An open door is set before thee, and no man can shut it. Now I begin to reap the benefits of my hazards. But how is it that you come alone? Because none of my neighbors saw their danger as I saw mine. Did any of them know you were coming? Yes, my wife and children saw me at the first and called after me to turn again. Also, some of my neighbors stood crying and calling after me to return, but I put my fingers in my ears and so came on my way. But did none of them follow you to persuade you to go back? Yes, both obstinate and pliable, but when they saw that they could not prevail, obstinate went railing back, but pliable came with me a little way. But why did he not come through? We indeed came both together until we came at the slough of despond, into the which we also suddenly fell, and then was my neighbor pliable discouraged and would not adventure further. Wherefore, getting out on that side next to his own house, he told me that I should possess the brave country alone for him. So he went his way, and I came mine, he after obstinate, and I to this gate. Alas, poor man, is the celestial glory of so little esteem with him, that he counteth it not worth running the hazards of a few difficulties to obtain it? Truly, I have said the truth of Pliable, and if I should also say all the truth of myself, it will appear there is no betterment betwixt him and myself. It is true he went back to his own house, but I also turned aside to go in the way of death, being persuaded thereto by the carnal arguments of one Mr. Worldly Wiseman. Oh, did he light upon you? What? He would have had you a sought for ease at the hands of Mr. Legality. They are both of them a very cheat. But did you take his counsel? Yes, as far as I durst. I went to find out Mr. Legality until I thought that the mountain that stands by his house would have fallen upon my head. Wherefore, there I was forced to stop. This mountain has been the death of many and will be the death of many more. 
It is while you escaped being by it dashed to pieces. Why, truly, I do not know what had become of me there, had not Evangelist happily met me again, as I was musing in the midst of my dumps. It was God's mercy that he came to me again, for else I had never come hither. But now I am come, such a one as I am, more fit indeed for death by that mountain, than thus to stand talking with my Lord. But oh, what a favor it is to me, that yet I am admitted entrance here. We make no objections against any, notwithstanding all that they have done before they came hither. They are in no wise cast out, and therefore, good Christian, come a little way with me, and I will teach thee about the way you should go. Look before thee. Dost thou see the narrow way? That is the way thou must go. It was cast up by the patriarchs, prophets, Christ, and his apostles, and it is straight as a rule can make it. That is the way thou must go. But are there no turnings nor windings by which a stranger may lose his way? Yes, there are many ways but down upon this, and they are crooked and wide. But thus thou mayest distinguish the right from the wrong, the right only being straight and narrow. Then I saw in my dream that Christian asked him further if he could not help him off with his burden that was upon his back, or as yet he had not rid himself thereof, nor could he by any means get it off without help. He told him, As to thy burden, be content to bear it, until thou comest to the place of deliverance, for there it will fall from thy back of itself. Then Christian began to gird up his loins and to address himself to his journey. So the other told him that by that he was gone some distance from the gate, he would come at the house of the interpreter, at whose door he should knock, and he would show him excellent things. Then Christian took his leave of his friend, and he again bid him Godspeed. Then he went on till he came to the house of the interpreter, where he knocked over and over. At last one came to the door and asked who was there. Sir, here is a traveler who was bid by an acquaintance of the good man of this house to call here for my prophet. I would therefore speak with the master of the house. So he called for the master of the house, who after a little time came to Christian and asked him what he would have. Sir, I am a man that am come from the city of destruction and am going to the Mount Zion. And I was told by the man that stands at the gate at the head of this way that if I called here, you would show me excellent things such as would be a help to me on my journey. Come in. I will show thee that which will be profitable to thee. So he commanded his man to light the candle and bid Christian follow him. So he had him into a private room and bid his man open a door. The which, when he had done, Christian saw the picture of a very grave person hanging upon the wall. And this was the fashion of it. It had eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand. The law of truth was written upon his lips. The world was behind his back. It stood as if it pleaded with men, and a crown of gold did hang over its head. What meanest this? The man whose picture this is, is one of a thousand. He can beget children, travail in birth with children, and nurse them himself when they are born. And whereas thou seest him with his eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, and the law of truth writ on his lips, 
is it to show thee that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners, even as also thou seest him stands as if he pleadeth with men, and whereas thou seest the world is cast behind him, and that a crown hangs over his head, that is to show thee that slighting and despising the things that are present, for the love that he hath to his master's service, he is sure in the world that comes next to have glory for his reward. Now I have showed thee this picture first, because the man whose picture this is, is the only man whom the Lord of the place, whither thou art going, hath authorized to be thy guide in all difficult places thou mayest meet within the way. Therefore take good heed to what I have shown thee, and bear well in thy mind what thou hast seen, lest in thy journey thou meet with some that pretend to lead thee right, but their way goes down to death. Then he took him by the hand, and led him into a very large parlor that was full of dust, because never swept, the which after he had reviewed a little while, the interpreter called for a man to sweep. Now when he began to sweep, the dust began so abundantly to fly about that Christian had almost therewith been choked. Then said the interpreter to a damsel that stood by, Bring hither the water and sprinkle the room. The which, when she had done, it was swept and cleansed with pleasure. What means this? This parlor is the heart of a man that was never sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The dust is his original sin and inward corruptions that have defiled the whole man. He that began to sweep it first is the law, but she that brought water and did sprinkle it is the gospel. Now whereas thou sawest that so soon as the first began to sweep, The dust did so fly about that the room by him could not be cleansed, but that thou was almost choketh therewithin. This is to show thee that the law, instead of cleansing the heart by its working through sin, doth revive, put strength into and increase it in the soul, even as it doth discover and forbid it, for it doth not give power to subdue. Again, as thou sawest a damsel sprinkle the room with water, upon which it was cleansed with pleasure, This is to show thee, when the gospel comes and the sweet and precious influences thereof to the heart, then I say, even as thou sawest the damsel lay the dust by sprinkling the floor with water, so is sin vanquished and subdued, and the soul made clean through the faith of it, and consequently fit for the king of glory to inhabit. I saw, moreover, in my dream, that the interpreter took him by the hand, and had him into a little room where sat two little children, each one in his chair. The name of the elder was Passion, and the name of the other, Patience. Passion seemed to be much discontented, but Patience was very quiet. What is the reason of the discontent of Passion? The governor of them would have him stay for his best things till the beginning of the next year, but he would have all of it now. But Patience is willing to wait. Then I saw that one came to Passion, and brought him a bag of treasure, and poured it down at his feet, the which he took up and rejoiced therein, and withal laughed Patience to scorn. But I beheld but a while, and he had lavished all away, and had nothing left him but rags. Expound this matter more fully to me. These two lads are figures, Passion, of the men of this world, and Patience, of the men, of that which is to come. For as thou hearest, thou seest, passion will have all now this year, that is to say, in this world. 
So are the men of this world. They must have all their good things now. They cannot stay till next year, that is, until the next world, for their portion of good. That proverb, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, is of more authority with them than are all the divine testimonies of the good of the world to come. But as thou sawest that he had quickly lavished all away, and had presently left him nothing but rags, so it will be with all such men at the end of the world. Now I see that patience has the best wisdom, and that upon many accounts. First, because he stays for the best things. Second, and also because he will have the glory of his, when the other has nothing but rags. Nay, you may add another to wit. The glory of the next world will never wear out, but these are suddenly gone. Therefore, passion had not so much reason to laugh at patience because he had his good things first, as patience will have to laugh at passion, because he had his best things last. For first must give place to last, because last must have his time to come. But last gives place to nothing, for there is not another to succeed. He therefore that hath his portion first must needs have a time to spend it. But he that hath his portion last must have it lastingly. Therefore it is said of dives, Thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And I perceive it is not best to covet things that are now, but to wait for things to come. Ah, you say truth. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. But though this be so, yet since things present and our fleshly appetite are such near neighbors one another, And again, because things to come, in carnal sense, are such strangers to one another. Therefore, it is that the first of these so suddenly fall into amity, and that distance is so continued between the second. Then I saw in my dream that interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a place where was a fire burning against a wall and one standing by it, always casting much water upon it to quench it. Yet did the fire burn brighter and hotter. What means this? This fire is the work of grace that is wrought in the heart. He that casts water upon it to extinguish and put it out is the devil. But in that thou seest the fire notwithstanding burn higher and hotter, thou shalt also see the reason of that. So he had him about to the backside of the wall, where he saw a man with a vessel of oil in his hand, of the which he did also continually cast, but secretly, into the fire. What means this? This is Christ, who continually, with the oil of his grace, maintains the work already begun in the heart, by the means of which, notwithstanding what the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. And in that thou sawest that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire, that is to teach thee that it is hard for the tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. I saw also that the interpreter took him by the hand again and led him into a pleasant place where was builded a stately palace, beautiful to behold, at the sight of which Christian was greatly delighted. He saw also upon the top thereof certain persons walking who were clothed all in gold. May we go in thither? Then the interpreter took him and led him up towards the door of the palace. And behold, at the door stood a great company of men, as desirous to go in, but durst not. 
There also sat a man a little distance from the door, at a table side, with a book and his inkhorn before him, to take the name of him that should enter therein. He saw also that in the doorway stood many men in armor to keep it, being resolved to do the men that would enter what hurt and mischief they could. Now was Christian somewhat in amaze. At last, when every man started back for fear of the armed men, Christian saw a man of a very stout countenance come up to the man that sat there to write, saying, Set down my name, sir. The which, when he had done, he saw the man draw his sword and put an helmet on his head and rush toward the door upon the armed men who laid upon him with deadly force. But the man, not at all discouraged, fell to cutting and hacking most fiercely. So after he had received and given many wounds to those that attempted to keep him out, he cut his way through them all and pressed forward into the palace, at which there was a pleasant voice heard from those that were within, even of those that walked upon the top of the palace, saying, Come in, come in, eternal glory thou shalt win. So he went in and was clothed with such garments as they. Then Christian smiled. I think verily I know the meaning of this. Now let me go hence. Nay, stay, till I have shown thee a little more. And after that thou shalt go thy way. So he took him by the hand again, and led him into a very dark room, where there sat a man in an iron cage. Now the man to look on seemed very sad. He sat there with his eyes looking down to the ground, his hands folded together, and he sighed as if his heart would break. What means this? At which the interpreter bid him talk with the man. What art thou? I am what I was not once. What wast thou once? I was once a fair and flourishing professor, both in mine own eyes and also in the eyes of others. I once was, as I thought, fair for the celestial city, and had then even joy at the thoughts that I should get thither. Well, but what art thou now? I am now a man of despair, and am shut up in it as in this iron cage. I cannot get out. Oh, now I cannot. But how camest thou in this condition? I left off to watch and be sober. I laid the reins upon the neck of my lusts. I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God. I have grieved the spirit, and he is gone. I tempted the devil, and he has come to me. I have provoked God to anger, and he has left me. I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. But is there no hope for such a man as this? Ask him. Nay, pray, sir, do you. Is there no hope, but you must be kept in the iron cage of despair? No, none at all. Why, the son of the blessed is very pitiful. I have crucified him to myself afresh. I have despised his person. I have despised his righteousness. I have counted his blood an unholy thing. I have done despot to the spirit of grace. Therefore I have shut myself out of all the promises, and there now remains to me nothing but threatening, dreadful threatening, fearful threatening of certain judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour me as an adversary. For what did you bring yourself into this condition? For my lusts, pleasures, and profits of this world 
in the enjoyment of which I did then promise myself much delight. But now every one of those things also bite me and gnaw me like a burning worm. But canst thou now not repent in turn? God hath denied me repentance. His word gives me no encouragement to believe. Yea, himself hath shut me up in this iron cage, nor can all the men in the world let me out. Oh, eternity, eternity! How shall I grapple with the misery that I must meet with in eternity? Let this man's misery be remembered by thee, and be an everlasting caution to thee. Well, this is fearful. God help me to watch and be sober, and to pray that I may shun the cause of this man's misery. Sir, is it not time for me to go on my way now? Tarry still, I shall show thee one more thing, and then thou shalt go on thy way. So he took Christian by the hand again, and led him into a chamber where there was one rising out of a bed. And as he put on his raiment, he shook and trembled. Why does this man thus tremble? The interpreter then bid him tell to Christian the reason of his so doing. So he began and said, This night, as I was in my sleep, I dreamed, and behold, the heavens grew exceeding black. Also it thundered and lightened in most fearful wise, that it put me into an agony. So I looked up in my dream and saw the clouds rack at an unusual rate, upon which I heard a great sound of a trumpet and saw also a man sit upon a cloud attended with the thousands of heaven. They were all in flaming fire. Also the heavens were in a burning flame. I heard then a voice saying, Arise, ye dead, and come to judgment. And with that the rocks rent, the graves opened, and the dead that were therein came forth. Some of them were exceeding glad, and look upward, and some sought to hide themselves under the mountains. Then I saw the man that sat upon the cloud open the book and bid the world draw near. Yet there was, by reason of a fierce flame, which issued out and came from before him, a convenient distance betwixt him and them, as betwixt the judge and the prisoners at the bar. I heard it also proclaimed to them that attended on the man that sat on the cloud, Gather together the tares, the chaff, the stubble, and cast them into the burning lake. And with that the bottomless pit opened, just whereabouts I stood, out of the mouth of which there came in an abundant manner smoke and coals of fire with hideous noises. It was also said to the same persons, Gather my wheat into the garner. And with that I saw many catched up and carried away into the clouds, but I was left behind. I also sought to hide myself, but I could not, for the man that sat upon the cloud still kept his eye upon me. My sins also came into my mind, and my conscience did accuse me on every side. Upon this I awakened from my sleep. But what was it that made you so afraid of this sight? Why, I thought that the day of judgment was come, and that I was not ready for it. But this frightened me most, that the angels gathered up several and left me behind. Also the pit of hell opened her mouth just where I stood. My conscience, too, afflicted me. And as I thought, the judge had always his eye upon me, showing indignation in his countenance. Hast thou considered all these things? 
Yes, and they put me in hope and fear. Well, keep all things so in thy mind, that they may be as a goad in thy sides, to prick thee forward in the way thou must go. Then Christian began to gird up his loins, and to address himself to his journey. The Comforter be always with thee, good Christian, to guide thee in the way that leads to the city. So Christian went on his way, saying, Here I have seen things rare and profitable, things pleasant, dreadful, things to make me stable. In what I have begun to take in hand, then let me think on them and understand. Wherefore they showed me were, and let me be thankful, O good interpreter, to thee. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 